It's time for the movie rating. Tonight's victim is actor and producer Roberto Lombardi that is currently in The Flower People as well as Kruger Tales from Elm Street. Hello. Hello there. How you doing? Being free and being alive. What's up? Being alive is a good thing, so I'm right there with you. Tell us a little bit about this Flower People that you've been working on. I'm actually the executive producer of that movie. It's a short film. It's actually about a woman and her son, and the son gets pulled into a cult. Without giving too, too much away from it, it's a black black and white film. The only color that's in it is the color of the flowers, which is red. It's not horror per se, like it's not a bloody thing. It's just, it's a very creepy thriller type of thing. It gets under your skin. We're looking at getting it released sometime in the fall, probably around uh, October for Halloween. It's in post right now. It did really well. It was a very quick shoot and it's taken a long time in post because we wanted it to be just right, but it's going to be a nice psychological very interesting. And is this expected to mainly be streamed later on, or are you actually going to have like on DVD later on once it's completed? We haven't really got, talked about that so far. I mean, we, they want to do the, we want to do the festival circuit with it first. The director, Charles Christman, and I are also, he's also producing it with me. We're, I wanted to bring up to him about having us perhaps put the Flower People and another film we did together that I actually acted in called Mass. I want to put both of them probably and have a DVD slash Blu-ray release and just make it like a, a two-movie release. That way it's a little more value for the money for the audience and we get those films out. Well, that's very cool. And, and were you funding very well for this or did, did you have to go a little bit higher up in order to, you know, like GoFundMe or Kickstarter or anything like that? No, we, we didn't We didn't go with that. We didn't have like particularly high budgets for either of the films. Just enough to cover expenses there. Like I live in the Philadelphia area, so both films, The Flower People was filmed entirely in Philadelphia. Mask was filmed partially in Philadelphia and partially in southern New Jersey within an hour of each other. And we had locations that were donated. We had costuming that was donated. We had props, like for the flower people, the actual flower pins that the cult members wear. They were done inexpensively by an actual designer. But we were real, let's use the word thrifty, with our uh, budgets for these. So it's it actually more value for the money that we got. So it worked out very well, and both stories came out really well. Flower People, really good thriller. Masks is more of a serial killer more movie. Yeah, how do you feel about what public are going to be responding to this? It seems like people are so more sensitive about the littlest things, like on on the look of a character. But they're okay with the story, but they just absolutely hate the look of the character for some reason, and because it's so racial or this or that or, or its background and so forth. I don't, it, it's odd. I mean, I'm actually one of those guys who's all for everybody being inclusive of everyone, and just from the way I was raised, I wasn't raised for people to be separated from each other. My parents did a really, really good job of raising me to think inclusively. It's, it's funny, the directors that I work the most with, which is Charles Christman and another guy uh, who did the Kruger series, Chris O'Reilly, they're both very inclusive of everybody. Uh, the Flower People, the lead is a white female in The Flower People. I was the lead in Masks. This is Chuck Films. But the other the other lead, the co-lead of The Flower People is Puerto Rican. The, the young boy who is her son in it is also Hispanic. And the, almost all of the background extras in the film, they're all very racially mixed, which is a great thing. Chris's movie, same way. Chris is very female-centric in, in his casting. He writes projects specifically for females of all types, and he's very inclusive of everybody when he's casting films. I don't know. I think that's the way to go because everybody should get to enjoy everything, and everybody should be represented. Everybody should be able to look up at the screen and 
go, hey, that's a person like me. If they can do that, I can do that. Today's world, for some reason, you know, everyone wants to find some kind of an excuse to turn into something else that really shouldn't be as what it is. It's just either looking for some excuse to halt some kind of production because you specifically, you as an individual doesn't like and don't want it to be shown anywhere else, but yet you're okay with everything else in terms of certain types of violence or something like that in other films. But to me, that's that's a little bit in its own discrimination. I mean, you're, you're, you're wanting to stop someone's art because they're showing a uh, different nationality or like, like, like a cult or something like that because of recent events. That's true, but art is art, and if that's what you come up with, I mean, you're going to present it to an audience, and an audience is either going to like it or they're not going to like it. Everything's going to have their fans, and everything's going to have their detractors. But here's one simple thing that you can live by when it comes to art. If it's not your type of thing, go see it. If it's on television, change the channel. Let the people who are into it be into it. And that's the best thing about art is the fact it's unbiased. It has no opinion. It has no arguments. It it's it's full of beauty. It's full of ugliness. It's anything what the person wants it to be, including the creator himself or herself. That's exactly right. You shouldn't have to alter your vision of something because of trendiness or current events or anything like that. You should present what you want to present. Do you think when it comes to these more recent tragic events, shootings and all the stuff when, when it comes to the filmmaking, do you think when they're trying to present their vision including yourself as an actor, trying to present a vision and, and having to alter that vision, do you think it kind of hinders on the artists themselves to to actually fully express it? I think this is a really touchy area. I, I, I think for being both a producer and mainly, mainly an actor, but you know, producer as well, I think you have to look at and it's difficult because the producer is always looking at a bottom line. The producer is only going to look at how their film is is going to be received and, and how well it's going to do and what's the widest audience for it. You want to present your vision, but if it goes so far over the top that it's going to, and, and this is the difficult part, you want it to be accessible to oh, the largest group of people. That's talking as a producer. So I see where producers sometimes want to cut something out or, or pull back on something, but the actor side of me, which is the main side of me as, as, as an actor, would be show everything, do everything. If this is what the film is about, basically I, I, I've played really bad characters. I, I've done a lot of horror films. I usually get cast, I guess because of the way my look comes across, I get cast as the guy who's a bad guy or not such a good guy or the evil guy. So I've played these characters and some of them have had real topical references to them to real life. And... I didn't think it was a good idea to pull, hold back on any of those characters, and we didn't. And it worked out fine, but, you know, there's there's some people I remember seeing comments on some of the films where people are like, well, how could you do that? You know, how can you show this? And, I, and I, my answer is always the same thing. If it bothers you this much, A, we did our job because you're supposed to be bothered by this, and B, if it's really just too much for you, then by all means skip over to the next movie and, and don't watch it. And I don't mean that sarcastically or flippantly or anything like that. It's just like, if it's truly not for you, then, then you shouldn't watch it. Do you think it'd be hard to preserve this vision, or do you think there's no reason to preserve it all, just let it be where it's at and however the audience takes it as? Well, here's, here's the catch with that, too. When you're doing a film, especially a feature film, short films are a different story because short films you can get away with a lot more because you can self-distribute it very easily. 
You can self-distribute on, on YouTube. You can self-distribute it in lots of different formats that you don't have to answer to anybody. But with a feature film, it's a different ballgame because it's your vision and you present it and, you know, you say you get signed to a distributor and you, the distributor wants to put your film in different countries. Well, different countries have different standards and they're going to look at your film and they're going to either tell you to edit certain stuff out depending on what territory it's going to or they're going to do it themselves. And believe me, you'd rather do it yourself. You'd rather edit the content yourself if it has to be because if they edit it out, you're gonna, it's really going to damage your vision. And there's really no way around that because you can either do that or you don't get distributed. And then, like, a lot of artists will just say, well, then I won't get distributed then. Okay, well, then nobody, probably nobody's going to see your film. There's a lot of give and take, there's a lot of push and pull, and there's a lot of compromising when it comes to putting a film out on the business end of it that a lot of uh, people just don't know about it. It's a very tough thing. You know, no artist wants to see their vision damaged or changed or, or have it become something that they didn't intend, but it happens. And that's that's a really bad thing when you're when you're making an artist rethink things in terms of what they do, whether acting or directing a specific vision. Probably gonna have to try to find a, a better option to go bypass that because that's that's gonna be an everyday thing. And when you're dealing with these type of people, you're either gonna have to take it so you can get your vision out there, and and it's okay to do a little compromising. It's okay to do a little altering, but make sure that you know you want to present. This is your idea. This is your vision. This is how you want to present this story or character. Yeah, and and a lot of times you do that. While you're making the film, all of that is done. And then you, you get to post-production and you realize that maybe something that you love just doesn't work for the film and you have to get rid of it. Not because anybody's telling you to get rid of it, because you realize even as much as you love the segment of the film, it just doesn't work with the rest of the movie and you got to dump it. Yeah, and having to work on the film, which I know you've talked about this numerous times, having to dive into Kruger Tales from Elm Street. I mean, how, being this episodic for one thing, is it is it easier or more expressive to do it through this type of style in order to get the point across, or do you think it's best to just do it through film only? Are we talking about getting the character across, or we're talking about the series in general? Uh, getting the character across, getting uh, as well as moving story, story-wise as well. Kruger, and see, that's, a, that's also something that is, <laughs> you know, a delicate line to cross because I approached getting my version of Freddy Krueger across carefully. And we did six of them. There were six films total. I think it was six. Um, yeah, seven. Six or seven. My initial problem with playing it was when, when we first decided we were going to do it, I didn't want to present what I was doing as a carbon copy, note-for-note imitation of Robert England. So I kind of took steps immediately not to do that because I resemble Robert. We don't look exactly alike, but I resemble him. Immediately that presents a problem because you're going to get some people who go, oh, that guy's great, he looks just like Robert England. And then you're going to get other people who go, that guy is nothing but a copycat. And it's, it's, it was a thin line for me. And I approached each film really differently to get the character across because I didn't want to get the character across as a cosplay version of Robert. And believe me, I'm, I'm not mocking cosplayers at all. I think they're amazing. Some of them are, like, note perfect. But I didn't want to do that. I wanted it to be my version of it. So I had to, like, painstakingly pick little pieces of Robert's performance and maybe put a little bit in there to make it the character be recognizable because I played him mostly without makeup. I played him as a live person. I didn't play him as a dream demon. So the character 
character wouldn't be recognizable. Yes, I was wearing a red and green sweater and I had a claw on, but the character had to come through. I, that's where I took little nuances. I, I, I don't want to even say I copied it because I just kind of took something that maybe the character would have done and I just did my version of it just so it would bring it out to the audience. But it, it was a process and we quickly realized that, that some things weren't going to work. Like we dyed my hair in the first one and we realized right away, oh, let's not do that. Why are, that's making you look even more like Robert. You're not doing your own version of it. So starting with the second film, we didn't do that. We left my hair color dark, which it's not anymore, but you know, we left my hair color dark for that. And then just each one, it was just a process. It was actually pretty nerve-wracking for me because with each successive film, especially after the second one, you know, the second one kind of exploded a lot, and that was the one that really was the most popular one and to this day is still the most popular one. Every film after that, I kept having to up my game a bit, and I kept, I would always worry, are, am I going to be able to pull this off again? Are people going to say, oh, this is only one or two films that he did well, and the rest of them aren't that good? But it's a little nerve and I, I wanted it to come across well to an audience. And each time we went to do it, I, I admittedly was very nervous before we actually got started. It was a very long process. It was eight years worth. That's, that's amazing, though, the fact that you can still pull through this despite of any kind of criticism or any kind of anything that, that could really throw you off. They're trying to perform this character in your own way, trying to make this a unique, trying to get the story out there in your own vision as well as the director's vision and anybody else involved and having to really come across something that something that we haven't seen something we haven't experienced and i can imagine that could be such a really a bad thing for for you to to focus on this because you got all this noise in your ear and you're trying to focus on trying to make a, a best of of your own vision as a whole and and, and the confusion came in for an, an audience and this is where looking like you know resembling robert didn't really do me any favors was films where i did pretty much nothing the way Robert did it. I did it pretty much all my own way. And there would still be comments that said, you're just copying Robert. And I'm like, if you just put some another actor in there who did the same exact thing that I did, with the same inflections and the same body movement, you would say that that was a completely original performance. But because I resemble Robert so much, some people just couldn't get past the fact of, of the resemblance and took the resemblance as copying. That, that was probably the most frustrating thing for me about playing that part, is I was always super uber conscious of it because I didn't want people to, to see a copier. I wanted somebody to just see the character. And that's it. Yeah, it's really, really sad. And the fact is that audience are not willing to accept that and try to just, just watch the movie, see how this person is, just accept it. Because, you, you you know, Robert is fantastic. Of course he is. But it doesn't mean that you can't, like, see what others can provide to the character. It's not the fact that you're trying to replace anybody. You're not. You're trying to get across, here's Freddy, here's what we haven't seen that he could possibly do in certain situations and how maniacal it can be or how unmaniacal it can be. He can be pretty friendly and, and evil at the same time and, and whatever. There's so many factors involved, so many flavors that you can and, and do this. Performing as this character is just as hard as trying to get the flavor across. And that's very true, especially playing him as a live person in, in our version of it. We tried to encapsulate the storylines of the original series. So in our version of it, Freddie does, Freddie's married and, and has a kid while he's out doing these horrific things. And in our version, he's well-known and liked in the neighborhood. And so when the, the families find out that he's the one who's killing all the kids, it's even more shock value because this is somebody who's been in their community that they sat down and had meals with, that their kids play with his kid, and all of a sudden... They 
find out that he's this horrific monster, which I always thought was scarier. That was and, and the, the whole hiding in plain sight thing was really fun to play. I, I had to admit, I, I don't want to make it seem like playing Freddy was like this horrible task for me. It wasn't. It was. 99% a black. Probably the worst thing about it, other than the comparisons, was the makeup and the, that we used in the last two films. Sitting in a makeup chair, especially in the last film, it was like hours. And it does not come off easily. <laughs> and it's sweaty. And it smells bad. <laughs> Well, it's still fantastic the fact that you even you're playing this character that because it's it's really excellent practice even if you've been doing this for twenty years it's excellent practice because you get to play as a, an icon and you get to perform the way you like to perform and how you see fit and the movements yep. and the techniques of, of this character and now that you can apply some of that forming your own unique techniques to a different completely different character that isn't horror based and or dramatic based and use that energy and use that method to to succeed of this character to get that across as well and it's funny you should mention that because i am going to be doing that my next acting project is actually going to be a reprisal of a role I did. I, I did a film a few years ago called Head Cases. It was done to be like a partially found footage documentary type of series. It's uh, the Head Cases series, Anthony Spadacini. And I was in the last version of it. My character was, uh, basically it was archive footage of the character in the 80s when the original murders were going on that take place in this series of films. So I have like the slip back, dark hair, 80s kind of haircut and the, the Don Johnson-esque kind of shiny coat on and that type of thing. He's going to revive another part of it and it's going to be called Head Case, The Lost Tape. And my character comes back that as the age I am now, 30 years later, and he basically is a disgraced cop because he couldn't solve these murders. And I am going to use some of the craftiness and sneakiness that I put into playing Freddy into this character. Thinking we're going to get started on it by the end of the year, and uh, then we'll see how long it takes to come out after that. But so it kind of goes with what you were just saying. Well, that's pretty cool, man. I, I definitely would love to see that, how, how that works out for you. Go ahead and plug in any websites, anything that you'd like to promote that we can check out right now. For my projects that are upcoming, yeah, actually, um, all three of the projects we talked about today, the, the Kruger series, the Flower People, and the Hit Case, the Lost Tapes, all three of them have Facebook pages. All you have to do is go on Facebook and type the, the titles in and they'll pop right up. There'll be all kinds of news on there. There's, it's very interactive, especially the Kruger page. You get on that page and ask a question of anybody, either myself or the director, Chris really will answer the question. We're the only two administrators on it. Same with the flower people. I'm an administrator there, and um, I'm not an administrator on the head case page, but Anthony is very good about talking to people. So, yeah, you can find us there very easily. The, the film series itself, uh, the head case series, is uh, out on, I know you can get it on Amazon and any other kind of online outlet on there. Both the flower, the flower fever is not out yet, but it'll be out uh, in probably the fall, and then we'll look at it at a DVD or Blu-ray release together with masks, hopefully uh, sometime after that. And Kruger is pretty much available anywhere you want to see it. If you go in any search engine and type Kruger Tales from Elm Street, you'll be able to watch the whole series. Very cool, man. Looking forward to it. So there you have it, everybody. That is actor Roberto Lombardi. Thank you. Thank you for having me on today.